This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hello and welcome to Radio Astronomy, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings to the July episode, listeners. I'm news editor Elizabeth Pearson, and I'm joined on the podcast today by editor Chris Bramley. Hi there. Coming up later, we'll be talking to someone from NASA about their upcoming DART mission. But first, we take a look at what we've learnt whilst putting together the July issue of BBC Sky at Night magazine. Every year on the 30th of June, astronomers and space enthusiasts around the world join together for Asteroid Day, aiming to raise awareness of the threat asteroids pose to our planet. In this month's issue of BBC Sky at Night magazine, we have taken a look at the upcoming HERA mission from the European Space Agency. Yes, that's right, Ezzy. Um, HERA is a a really interesting mission, actually. Um, And uh, it's going to test out humanity's response to the asteroid threat. Um, And it's actually the second of a pair of missions. Um, And together, um, the joint mission is called AIDA. Um, Now, what that acronym stands for is straight out of a sci-fi movie. AIDA is the Asteroid Impact Deflection Assessment. (laughs) Um, So you mentioned it earlier, the first part of um, AIDA is the NASA DART mission, um, which you mentioned in the intro. Um, That stands for the, the Double Asteroid Redirection Test. Um, So that's a desk-sized spacecraft which is going to slam into a near-Earth asteroid at uh, 15,000 miles an hour. And after the the impact, I know it's pretty fast, um, after the impact, HERA, the HERA mission, uh, will arrive at at the same space rock and follow up with detailed observations to measure exactly how much its orbit has been changed. Um, So... The target for the for this joint mission, the near, this near-Earth asteroid, is pretty interesting. Um, it's a near-Earth object, um, and it's actually a binary asteroid, so two, two asteroids together, um, called Didymos, and it's orbiting the sun between Mars and Earth. Um, so all the AIDA action is going to be taking place on Didymos B, the smaller of the two um, binary asteroids, and that's been given a cool nickname. Um, they, they're calling it uh, Diddy Moon. <laughs> I love that name. It's just so cute. It's a little <laughs> isn't Diddy it, Moon. Isn't it? Yeah, that's right. A little tiny little thing. Um, so, as as you know, as asteroids go, it is pretty small. Um, it's 160 meters across, um, which you know, from judging by going by um, human standards, that's about the size of the Great Pyramid in Egypt. Mm. Um, and Diddy Moon is, is in orbit around the larger of the pair, Didymos A. Um, can you guess the nickname it's been given? 
Nah. D- did he major? <laughs> Almost. Very close. That's pretty good. No, it's actually, it's been given, the, they've given it the nickname um, Diddy Main. And, <laughs> That's better. <laughs> <laughs> so Diddy Moon and Diddy Main. Um, and this is a significantly larger lump of space rock at 780 metres diameter, which is about the size of a mountain. Um, so it's pretty sizable, but it still has a low enough mass that Diddy Moon orbits around it really slowly. Um, its orbit speed is less than half a mile an hour. So this and that mm-hmm. slow speed is crucial as it makes achieving a measurable deflection in the in the Diddy Moon's orbit really straightforward. So DART is going to launch in 2022 and it'll, it'll do its thing. Um, it'll impact. And then HERA, the mission, will launch in 2024. Um, and when it arrives at the, the Didymos system in 2027, it'll go into orbit around the pair and gather this crucial collision data that can't be gathered with observatories on Earth. Mm-hmm. It's going to measure stuff like mass, structure, composition, and it's also going to take a close-up look at the crater that's left by DART's impact. Um, the other cool thing it's going to be doing is carrying a pair of CubeSats, small shoebox-sized spacecraft that's going to they're going to be released to fly much closer to the surface of Diddy Moon. And one of these is going to use radar to do a subsurface survey of Diddy Moon, and the other will do detailed investigations of what it's made of, right down to looking at individual boulders and analysing dust. So I said earlier that it's kind of like a sci it's the stuff of sci-fi. And, you know, 20 years ago, it was the stuff of Hollywood blockbusters. 1998 saw two films um, about the asteroid threat, Armageddon um, and Deep Impact. Armageddon was a blockbuster, um, Mm -hmm. made loads of money at the box office. Um, But uh, the science community reckoned that Deep Impact was a bit more scientifically accurate. Um, But, you know, that the kind of idea of, of, of that... Um, of of impacting an asteroid, changing its orbit, it's now become reality. That's a mm. and that's a, that's a really interesting thing. How how the kind of technology has has enabled that to come about in just twenty years, mm. um, but it it almost didn't. Um, the first time Hera was proposed um, four years ago um, to ESA, um, it didn't receive enough funding from member states. Um, but at last, at the last ESA ministerial meeting at the end of 2019, um, the mission the mission was changed to become smaller and smarter, and it and it got the go ahead. Mm. So yes, as you said, there was originally it was supposed to be a, a I think it was called the AIM mission. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah, um, and it was supposed to be there before the impact happened and watching the asteroid pair from beforehand right the way over to the end. Um, now, however, I think they're going to do a lot of that kind of observation of of looking at the system before they do anything from Earth and really trying to to, to sort of characterise how fast and the particular orbit of, of Diddy Moon around Diddy Main. Um, and... Yes, that's yeah. it, yeah. They'll be able to look. They'd be able to look at it with um, radar um, and also with um, uh, analyzing changes in light curves and stuff like this um, mm-hmm. with observatories on Earth. Yeah, it's, there is a there is a lot you can do from Earth, but there's also a lot. There's some stuff you do have to go up and 
and look at something in close contact. So it would have yes, been nice right. if we could have had that entire mission from beginning to end. Um, it would be it would be cool to have like a kind of um, <laughs> you know like like similar after. like the the Rosetta uh, mission, which kind of you know it mm. we we had a, almost like a ringside seat when the when the lander left the left mm. the, the main the main craft and um, touched down on um, mm. the comet. I don't want to say its yeah. name because it's way too complicated, isn't it? <laughs> 67P, Shuri Yumov, Gerasimenko. Um, ah, there you do. <laughs> excellent, excellent. One of us has practised. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, that was because that was the uh, – because we were in the office together when that was that was happening. Um, yes. And that was a very – so it's like I'm sure you remember it? it was it was a real moment and and it yes. wasn't just us it was like everybody um around us in the office not just the people who were involved yeah. in Sky at Night magazine were, were coming over it, to say oh what's going on what's happening now um, it really caught people's attention and I think this is a similar thing because it's such yeah. a you know it's the first it's a it's a it's a historic mission um the Aida mission because um you know it's for the first time um humanity is altering the orbit of a of of an ancient piece of the solar system um and it's it's you know it it's showing it's testing out um really something really important which is you know can we can we effectively defend ourselves against um against you know the threat of a asteroid impact hmm and yeah. um- that is that is exactly why these kinds of missions have to happen. Um, people have been yeah. saying for years um, what happens if there's we people have been searching for for potential civilization killer asteroids they mm. call, which is generally mm. anything that's over uh, a kilometer. I think is the cutoff point. Um, yes, yeah. But we we haven't been able to work out what would we do if we actually found one, and mounting mm. missions mm. like Dart, like Hera, would help if we do ever need to deflect an asteroid, will help us shape that particular mission. And of course, yes. we, we know that asteroids can wipe out civilizations. Well, less civilizations, more entire species. Um, yeah, indeed. Because of one that struck about 66 million years ago um, and did for our old yes. friends, the dinosaurs. Um, yeah, Wiped out about seventy-five um, percent of plant and animal life, didn't it? This is this is the yes. one with the with the impacted around um, the Yucatan Peninsula in um, in Mexico, isn't it? Yes, the it created what's now known as the Chichilub Crater um, mm. in in the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, as you said. Um, and actually, there's people who've been doing some new research on that, um, and they actually worked out recently that. The the meteor, the the asteroid, the space rock that created that crater came in at the deadliest angle possible, um, which was about a, a very steep angle of about sixty degrees. Um, also came in from the northeast, um, and it hit the Earth, and this kicked up a whole bunch of um, gas and dust into the atmosphere that created this big blanket around the earth that reflected away the sun's heat um, and created a, a mini ice age or a nuclear ice age, as they call mm. a nuclear mm. winter, sorry. And mm. 
Um, the reason why that angle is so deadly is because if it was shallower, it wouldn't have gone as deep into the surface. Um, it wouldn't have kicked, made as big a crater. But if it had been a mm. steeper angle, it would have just punched straight down into the earth and not kicked up as much stuff. But it was just at exactly the wrong angle that mm. it both went really deep. It actually penetrated down to about 30 kilometers deep, which was enough to start bringing up rocks from the earth's mantle. So it's gone through the crust and into mm. the mantle and bringing that back up. Um, and it was it was particularly putting out a lot of sulfur into the atmosphere. Mm. And that was that was bad because sulfur creates sticks together, sticks to other things and creates these these particles in the atmosphere, which were the, that was the thing that created this highly reflective layer. Um and it was as a group from Imperial College London who they took a bunch did a bunch of computer simulations basically um, using information that they had taken from the actual landscape. So people had been to the crater, they'd taken geophysical data looking you know not just at the, at the like the, the surface of what you could see, but what was going on in the rock about a kilometer down. Um, using various radar techniques and so on. Um, and they were the first people to, to work out what happened throughout the entirety of this impact. So as the crater was forming, as it rebounded and as it settled down, and that was kind of the, the thing that, that, that let them know exactly how this asteroid was coming in. Um, mm. And it's information like that which really helps us to, to understand... Um, if there was an asteroid impacting, um, how dangerous is it? You know, it's mm, not just mm. its size. Um, there's there's all kinds of different asteroids. Some are are sort of basically just loose bags of gravel, um, mm. whereas others are cannonballs made of iron. Um, and those are two very different things. If one's coming towards you, and and this also was showing like if depending on what direction it's coming at you is also going to have a very mm. different effect. So, And isn't it, isn't it just typical that, you know, not only do you have, um, uh, not only do you have a, an asteroid, you know, of this extinction level size, you know, between kind of 10 and 80 kilometers diameter. Um, but it, you know, it just happens to be coming at you at, at the most deadly angle. I mean, it, mm. it's, it is confluence of, of, Really yeah. bad luck, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, this this wasn't the first time we've been hit. Um, the Earth has been hit by a a big old lump of space rock. Um, but it yeah. was the, the most recent one of, of that size. Um, mm. And we do mm. get hit with smaller bits every year, pretty much. It's just most yeah. of them are so small they burn up in the atmosphere um, yeah. or they hit the ground in the ocean or, you know, deepest. Yeah darkest areas of the antarctic where no one really knows about them yes i mean it's interesting isn't it what you mentioned about um the this being this this research on the angle of of impact and how it was just um right to dig up the the you know the maximum amount of mm. um material from from our surface um the and and this is the thing that you know i find just 
the scale of this is just mind-boggling that you know mm. that material was was blasted out um so forcefully that it left the atmosphere mm. um went into space and then re-entered um and as it re-entered it um it obviously heated up with the friction <laughs> with with the air and the atmosphere and came down and started wildfires over a, over an enormous <laughs> area you know and, and then you've got all the dust and everything like tsunamis and everything else it, it's basically it's planet earth was having a bad day you might think now you're having a bad day but 66 million years ago <laughs> that was a really bad day yes yeah that's so right i probably shouldn't tempt right. fate um <laughs> yeah i should add I mean, on that we we have there are people out there who are making a very concerted effort to make sure that we know about any civilization killing sized asteroids and yes. there are none that are posing any danger anytime soon yeah there there are there are big surveys out there aren't there um many telescopes mm-hmm. trained um many um very enthusiastic um amateur astronomers are also um on the on the lookout um for new neos um to um keep up uh, observations and make sure that we we we're you know on top of on top of these objects as much as possible and like you say there aren't any that although we do get close fly flybys near earth objects um they don't come you know significantly close to earth i think the the definition of a near earth object is that it's got a it's got to come within what is it 1.3 astronomical units of the sun on on mm. its closest on its closest point um mm. and 1.3 astronomical units is about 195 million kilometers so you know it's still a, a very long long distance away most of the time when you see in the news of somebody saying it's like there's a kilometer sized asteroid that's coming really close to earth you actually then look into the numbers and it's like 16 times the distance to the moon away um mm. astronomical mm. terms yes that's pretty close but it's mm. still several million miles away. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And we're doing we we're as well as kind of monitoring um, a lot of these objects from from Earth. We're we're also um, finding out more about them actually um, close up, um, aren't we? Yes, there are actually uh, two missions which are currently in orbit around asteroids. Um, There's Hayabusa 2, which is around the asteroid Ryugu, and there's Osiris-Rex, which is around uh, asteroid Bennu. Um, Mm. And uh, these are both actually quite similar missions. Um, They've gone to the asteroid. Um, They are either already have or are planning to collect a sample of rock from the surface and then bring it back to Earth. Hayabusa 2 already has its sample. Um, then you have Osiris Rex, who have just this month, uh, the NASA team behind that, uh, sorry, Hayabusa 2 is a Japanese uh, mission, or Osiris Rex is from NASA, and Osiris Rex have announced that they are going to finally, after being at that asteroid since the 3rd of December 2018, they are actually going to touch down and try and take their sample on the 20th of October. So That's great, isn't it? Yeah. 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 They've, they've been got, there they've for got a long time. <laughs> they've got quite an interesting um, 
uh, way that they're going to collect the the sample, um, haven't mm. they? It's it's quite an ingenious method <laughs> they're using. It's called the touch and go technique, yes. um, which is they actually rehearsed it uh, a couple of months ago on the fifteenth of April, mm. Um, mm. where they will lower the spacecraft down towards the asteroid, um, and they've got like a funnel that will touch up against the surface and then mm. blast a bunch of gas into the dusty area to kick up a bunch of dust. Because um, in the vacuum of space, mm. if you fire a gas at something, it gets into all of the, 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 the gaps between all of the particles and ha- causes this massive explosion once you take the pressure mm. off. Um, big problem when trying to land on the moon. Different issue. Um, but it kicks up this big cloud of dust which then Osiris Rex will effectively vacuum up um, mm. and and put into its uh it's into its canisters and then it'll bring it home. Um, and it's mm. got enough gas on board, it's enough uh, nitrogen is what they're using, um, to make three attempts at landing on the surface and, and getting their sample. So even if this first one doesn't work, they've got a couple of extra ones in the bag. Yes, because it's quite a, it's a very, um, uh, I mean, the mass of this thing is, it, it isn't very large, is it? So there's mm-hmm. gravity on there is is so is so light. I think it's about the size, it's about the level of um, the gravity on the on the ISS. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 not a question of kind of touching down. It, it's more like um, docking almost. Yeah. Um, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's during its, well, it's been um, in orbit around Bennu since 2018. It's been taking countless photos of the surface and the really mm-hmm. detailed close up images. Um, and it, it really, it really, you know, it, it's not like the bigger asteroids where, um, you know, it's, it, the, the object has come together on, on its own gravity and formed a kind of homogeneous whole. It, it's still a collection of of loose. It still a, looks like a loose correct collection of rocks. That was actually one of the big problems that they had. Is they were yes. they were expecting to get to to this asteroid. Um, both actually Hayabusa and Osiris mm. Rex were expecting to get to their asteroid um, mm. and be able to find loads of places where they could put down. You know, I think yeah, it's it was like a nice like, beach or something, wasn't it? Yeah, they wanted to find like a twenty meter by twenty meter area that was free of like large rocks and pebbles, um, yeah. and mm. they were expecting to be able to find dozens of these, and they couldn't even mm. find one. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was in, on a minute, yeah, yeah. In the end, on a site uh, on Bennu, they they mm. narrowed it down to four potential sites. Um, mm. And they eventually went for one called Nightingale. Um, nice. Which is mm. where it will be touching down in October. Lovely. Yes. That's good. And, that, and that's got the um, nice kind of dusty, it's a dusty site, um, is it? That, that's mm. got the particles, because the particles have to be quite fine to be yeah, sucked up by the vacuum it was, cleaner. Yeah, it's that, <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of um, trying to find somewhere that doesn't have um, lots of pebbles, um, which mm. could, if because if if it, they Osiris Rex tries to suck up those, it'll damage itself. Um, mm. But you also don't want it to have massive boulders, 
um, because that would damage the main body of the spacecraft. But you also need yeah. it to be dusty. So it, it there was a lot of things they had to consider when they tried to find this this one spot, mm. this one mm. golden place that they could take their sample from. Mm. And and this kind of stuff is is um, what they're collecting is really important, isn't it? Because it's it's kind of um, this Bennu is is basically like the 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 loose rubble from the formation of the solar system it's the stuff that went into forming all the planets um the rocky planets like mm. planet earth um and um it's four and a half billion years old um yeah. isn't it basically this this pile yeah, of rocks i always kind of surprises me that in some ways we've had in terms of like going up and actually getting you know our hands-on look we've mm. got a better idea of comets, these things which occasionally come speeding into our solar system and then go out mm. to the outskirts of the outskirts again. But we've yes. actually had more missions which have gone up and touched one of those than we have to asteroids. Yeah. Um, yeah. That said, asteroids tend to fall to Earth quite often. So we, we do have meteorites and meteors, but we don't yes. have that... Um, researchers don't have that access to that pristine material that's never been in contact with the Earth's mm. atmosphere, that's never um, mm. been affected by, you know, mm. sitting out in the rain <laughs> whilst you waited Absolutely. for someone to go and find it, like you do with meteors. Um, yeah, and then, and, then, and then that, so, you know, by getting these samples, it's, it's going to be, they're really, um, NASA and and... Japan and the JAXA, the Japanese Space Agency, and and the whole science community around the world is they're going to share mm. out the samples, aren't they? They're really mm-hmm. excited to be able to um, test the test and run analysis on on these on the dust to see what kind of ingredients mm-hmm. um, were available on yeah. the on the early Earth that could have could have gone into the formation of life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting time, and and um, you know, uh, an exciting, exciting um, date material retrieval missions going on. Yeah, um, and uh, as if Osiris Rex is successful, um, it's planning on leaving Bennu uh, in March twenty twenty one, and should hopefully be back on Earth uh, a couple of years later in twenty twenty three. So. We have a couple of missions looking forward to. Um, mm. Hopefully, be back soon, and we'll see what they've got their hands yes. on. Yes, we'll keep checking up on those. Good luck to all um, the mission teams working on that um, uh, during the during the lockdown. Um, I, I'm sure they will they will pull through and uh, and continue their great work. Today on the podcast, we're talking to Andrea Riley, who is the program executive for NASA's DART mission. So, Andrea, could you tell me a little bit about what exactly the DART mission is? Yeah, so um, DART is NASA's first planetary defense uh, demonstration mission, uh, and it is part of an international collaboration um, among planetary defense and asteroid scientists, researchers called... um, the, the ADA, it's the Asteroid Impact and Deflection Assessment Group. And so DART will impact, uh, well, DART will demonstrate the kinetic 
impact her technique to test one, one method of asteroid deflection uh, with a kinetic impact. And so this will be the first demonstration of a kinetic impactor technique to change the motion of an asteroid in space. And so the DART spacecraft, it's heading out to, uh, to a binary near-Earth asteroid system called Didymos. Um, and so Didymos is the target for this demonstration. Uh, Didymos consists of a primary body, which we refer to as Didymos A, and it's approximately 780 meters across. And then it has a secondary moonlit uh, body, which we refer to as Didymos B. And so this moonlet orbits around uh, the primary body, and we will be impacting the, the moonlet, which is about 160 meters in size, um, which is more typical of the size of an asteroid that could pose the most uh, likely significant threat to Earth. The, this binary uh, Didymo system uh, is an ideal candidate for DART because it poses no actual threat impact to Earth. So all we're doing is um, uh, changing the orbital period of this moonlet going around the primary body. Uh, and so we're not uh, changing the trajectory of the orbit of the whole system around the Earth. So hitting the moonlet uh, is a lot easier and it's just going to be changing the um, uh, orbital period around the uh, Didymos A. So is planetary protection really the, the sole aim and sole goal of this mission? Um, well, the, the, the main goal, uh, yes, it, it's, to, it's to test out and to demonstrate one potential mitigation technique uh, for uh, planetary defense. And so um, the main goals, uh, as I mentioned, are uh, the DART spacecraft impacting the Didymos B, which is the moonlet orbiting around the primary body. Um, and that's targeted for September, October uh, 2022. Um, and at that time, the system will be in what we call a cr close approach to the Earth. But that's still a relative term. It's still going to be about um, 11 million kilometers away from Earth, so still pretty far. Um, so that's the main goal, is impacting uh, the Didymos B uh, moonlight. Uh, the second goal is uh, then uh, we want to change the binary orbital period to greater than 73 seconds. And so we want to be able to do that so we can see the um, change in the orbital period from Earth-based telescopes. So the requirement is 73 seconds change in the time it takes to go around the primary body, but we're thinking it's going to be closer to 10 minutes. And so the other main goal then after we, we create this change is then to be able to measure it, uh, like I said, uh, from our Earth-based telescopes. Um, and then later, um, uh, there's a HERA mission from uh, ESA, which will, will come later to characterize the, the full impact site. It'll come about four or five years later. And so all of this will help planetary defense researchers validate uh, impact and asteroid deflection computer models. And so we're going to have real data from uh, demonstration space that will better inform our models uh, for predicting um, um, uh, how, how we can um, uh, change the orbit, orbital period of, of an asteroid in space. To me, changing the trajectory of an asteroid sounds like it's quite a tricky thing to do. So how will the DART mission actually go about doing that? 
Yeah, so uh, we're just changing, as I mentioned, what we refer to as Didymos B, which is the moonlit circling what we refer to as Didymos A, the, the larger body. And so the DART spacecraft uh, will travel out there. Um, it will take about um, 14 months to actually get out to the asteroid. And once it's out there, it'll use its autonomous navigation uh, system to determine... Um, how to impact the, this moonlet, and uh, you know, basically, we we impact it. And then, once you have done that impact, what are the the things that you'll really be be looking at to to try and learn from this collision? Yeah. So the the timing of the Dart impact, as I mentioned, will happen in the fall of 2022, and that was to take advantage of the relatively close distance, as I mentioned, still the 11. A million kilometers from Earth, but that also enables the highest quality telescopes observations. Um, and so Didymos is an eclipsing binary asteroid uh, viewed from Earth, meaning that the Didymos B, the moonlet, passes in front uh, and behind of the Didymos A. Um, and this means that Earth-based telescopes can measure the regular variation in brightness um, combined with the Didymos system to determine um, the pre and post orbits of the smaller uh, Didymos B. And so we're, we're measuring uh, the time uh, it takes for the, the moonlight to go around um, the, the, larger, the larger body. And so um, right now it, it takes about, um, uh, about 12 hours for the moonlight to go around the larger body. So we're thinking that we'll be able to affect that probably up to seven or 10 minutes. And why is DART going, going straight in with an impact? Why isn't it orbiting around uh, the Didymos system first? Yeah, so um, the, the, main, the main objective is to um, demonstrate the uh, kinetic uh, impactor technique to see if we can uh, you know, change the, the orbital period of an asteroid. And so we, we want to uh, go right there and impact it and uh, then collect our data to see how we can best inform our models going forward. And why is it important for, for NASA to do these kinds of missions? Yeah, so uh, th these types of missions are, are really important. Um, you know, this is one of the... Um, um, uh, you know, I'll say more more advanced techniques or that we want to test out um, the kinetic impactor demonstration. And so uh, right now, this has never been tested in space. And so this is going to be the first time. And the best thing to do is uh, when we have theories in our computer models is to collect actual data that we can then validate and update the models with. And so um, this will be great to have the data um, and so we can be better informed uh, on how uh, these asteroids could um, uh, react to these kinetic impactor demonstrations. And so the good news is it's only about once in a thousand years for an asteroid um, of the Didymos size to hit Earth. And so it's a low probability, but we need to keep a watch out. And that's why NASA has the Planetary Defense Program. And so finding, tracking, and detecting near-Earth near objects um, 
uh, as early as possible will ensure that the world is ready to mitigate against potential future impacts that should one arise. Um, and so the planetary defense experts are constantly watching the skies to help, to help protect our planet. Um, and, and right now, uh, astronomers estimate that there's about a thousand of these near-Earth asteroids that are close to a half a mile wide. So that's the size of the, the larger Didymos body. Um, that would be big enough to cause a global disaster if it struck Earth. And so about 95% of these asteroids have already been found and tracked. So we know there aren't any near-term hazards. But there's, awfully, there's also roughly predicted about 25,000 near-Earth asteroids that are about uh, 500 feet, which are the size of this uh, smaller moonlet, which DART will impact. Um, but only about a third of these asteroids have been found. So we're working on... Um, uh, uh, finding all of these asteroids and watching them and uh, having this demonstrated kinetic impactor uh, demonstration will really provide a lot of valuable insight into one of the possible uh, mitigation strategies should one of these um, head, head near Earth one day. How big of a concern for NASA and, and the U.S. as a whole uh, is planetary defense? Yeah, so um, the DART mission is one piece of NASA's uh, wider planetary defense planning. And so for effective defense planning, you first must search the sky and detect any potential asteroid or comet impactors. Um, then you must have attested measures uh, to mitigate the impact, preferably by deflecting it uh, from impact several years in advance. Um, so with the DART, we're, we're, we're practicing or we're demonstrating this deflection technique uh, and collecting data from it. Um, and so in, in 2016, NASA established the Planetary Defense Coordination Office to encompass all capabilities needed to detect and warn of potential asteroid or common impacts uh, with Earth um, to then prevent or mitigate their possible um, effects. And so, you know, it's really important for us. We want to um, provide early detection of any potential hazardous objects, and we want to be able to track and characterize them. Um, we also conduct studies, uh, study strategies and techniques for uh, mitigating uh, these potential hazardous objects. And we play, we play a lead role in coordinating the U.S. government planning for response to actual impact threats. And so we have this office uh, that undertakes all of these things, uh, working to, uh, together to, um, to mitigate any potential hazardous objects. And, and DART addresses the mitigate part uh, of the overall planetary defense efforts. And after the DART mission has happened, um, provided it's a success, uh, what is the next step for NASA after that? Yeah, so uh, after uh, the DART mission and the impact uh, scheduled in uh, fall 2022, um, we'll be measuring the, um, the change in the, the orbital period of the system. Um, we'll be collecting uh, the uh, Earth telescope uh, data, so the Earth telescopes will be able to measure um, the change in the, in the period once uh, DART impacts it. Um, following that, uh, related to this type of mitigation strategy, the ESA uh, has a mission called HERA that's scheduled to happen uh, about five years late, four or five years later, uh, that will 
go also to this Didymo system and it'll be able to characterize the impact uh, further uh, with specific uh, instruments. And so we're going to collect all of that data and uh, it'll really inform our, our models and the analyses um, that we can use going forward if, uh, if a hazardous event should arise in the future. And so in addition to that, uh, as I mentioned, there's still quite a few uh, asteroids out there that we want to identify uh, and uh, be able to follow them and watch them uh, and uh, be, well aware, uh, be aware well in advance if any of them are, are coming close to Earth. Well, thank you very much uh, for talking to us today about DART, Andrea. Um, I certainly feel safer knowing that NASA is out there preparing to defend the planet if it needs to. Um, and I hope the DART mission is as successful as you want it to be. Oh, thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking with you. That was Andrea Riley, Program Executive for the DART mission. To find out more about DART's sister mission, Hera, be sure to pick up the July issue of BBC Sky at Night magazine. In the night sky in July, there's two things you shouldn't miss. And they're both planets, Jupiter and Saturn. They both reach their highest and brightest positions for the year this month. Jupiter on the 14th of July and Saturn on the 20th of July. On these nights, the planets will be at opposition when we see them on the opposite side of the sky to the sun. And what's more, Saturn and Jupiter will be pretty close to each other this month too. And it'll be a really striking sight. To the naked eye, you'll see them as two bright star-like objects over the southerly horizon as darkness falls, and they reach their highest in the sky a little after midnight. They'll only be about 15 degrees above the horizon, which is the distance between your little finger and index finger held out at arm's length. So find somewhere with a flat horizon away from trees and buildings for the best chance of spotting them. If you have a telescope, make sure to train it on these two beauties. Even with a small scope, Jupiter will reveal its four biggest moons stretched out in a line either side of it, and Saturn will show off its majestic rings, one of nature's most beguiling sights. So that's it from us this month. You can find out more about the Hera mission in our July issue of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we also delve into the secrets of Jupiter's volcanic moon Io, find out what the TESS exoplanet hunting mission has been getting up to as it approaches the end of its primary mission, and prepare for the arrival of Mars as it comes into opposition. And that's not forgetting our regular sections that will help you unlock the wonders of the night sky, find the right equipment to observe it with, and discover the best things to see after dark this month. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Radio Astronomy podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Jack Bateman and Ben Hewitt. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to iTunes, Acast or Spotify. 